This is The Big Dumb Ride, a podcast dedicated to the joys, miseries, and lessons left unlearned from your big, dumb bike rides. This is also one where, uh, you know, we did, sort of did this together, although we didn't, didn't ride together. We, both, we were both in this race, the, the Shenandoah Mountain 100, a couple of years ago. 2018? Um, 2018. Yeah. yeah. Or, yeah, 2018. Um, and I didn't finish. So I did 76 miles and got caught in a localized thunderstorm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Where yeah, that's on caught. the mountain? Um, I, you know, I don't actually know the, the course map well enough to know exactly where I was. <laughs> yeah. But I, I got really blasted. I mean, like my, oh. my bib shorts filled up with water. It was raining so hard. <laughs> like they ballooned up around my body. Um, <laughs> I've actually, I've never been rained on as hard, uh, well outside as oh, I God. was at that moment. And then I got to a point where, uh, you went up into this, uh, up this climb where at the top, the tops of the mountains were meadows Yeah. and they, they wouldn't let me up. Wow. They had a, they had a tr- uh, pickup truck and a couple yeah, lightning. They had a couple people yeah. from the like volunteers to the pickup truck and they're like, you can't, you can't go up. Well, it's um, probably for the best. Cause that, I mean, I feel like in the best of conditions, that bike ride is, is crazy. I mean, what's the elevation gain on the Shenandoah 100? Uh, it's a bazillion. <laughs> it's, it's so much. And, and I, you know, it's, it's one of those things. And, and we talk about this a little bit during the podcast, but, uh, the, the climbs are really hard, but then the descents are extremely fun, but it, mm-hmm. it had rained the night before actually unrelated to the, the little mini supercells, but the, the night before it had rained two inches Yeah. and the descents were Narnia. just slop. Yeah. I mean, running with water, Oh my God. no grip, uh, I went out to support my boyfriend at the time in 2019. No, it's earlier than that. Anyway, <laughs> says something. Uh, went out there and, I mean, we were seeing like broken collarbones and, uh, but also crazy shit like you know this couple on a tandem doing it, which is like the ultimate test of of coupledom. Yeah. And uh, Jeremy Bishop on arrow bars coming yeah. down the mountain. Um, it seemed like a really crazy ride, but I have to say like the energy and the organization was great. And, uh, you know, just seeing people finish, you know, like irregardless of what place they came in or how fast they went, like finishing that race seems like an accomplishment in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to have to do it again. Yeah. And I, yeah. I would have done it last year, but I was still recovering from a, a collarbone break. So just waiting. <laughs> I'm just waiting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll happen. But, you know, Alex, um, he was cool. He was our second interview, and that was fun. That was like a real conversation, and we kind of covered all manner of topics, everything from, you know, stuff about the race itself and his experience. Yeah, I mean, he talked about training or not training for that race, and right. you know, we covered we covered all of our, our basics, like what would you eat and what would you wear and how was it and what sucked and, you know, what was your, what was your like, greatest regret looking back. But um, I like that our, our conversation kind of straight into the, you know, um, hey, what, what's biking and bike racing about in the era of COVID? Good insights on that. Yeah, it was a sort of a, a certain kind of philosophical <laughs> conversation. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun one. Yeah, Zen, zen and the art of losing uh, your toenails. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Yeah, that's right. A week later when I was in a on a work trip, like, trying to pull my toenails off because they were going to fall off. That was probably the lowest low.
we are really glad to have you with us. And I know Andy uh, knows more about this ride. I've only I've only spectated this monstrosity, but nice. you are going to been up there then. I have. Um, I saw someone um, I was dating at the time disappear into the woods and not emerge for like 12 hours. <laughs> um, make it down. Yeah. It's a, it's a while. Well, I'm glad that you, you have some, um, some context uh, it, more than I do though, given the kind of writing he does. But, um, but yeah, we, uh, so it's the SM 100, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the scene up there is really something. So like, I think it's cool that you are familiar with that because I think that's like, honestly, one of the best parts, like it just is a really well done race with a lot of good energy. Pretty horrible though. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's not. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, yeah, it's like, it becomes type two fun really quickly. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell us, tell us about the ride, you know, what distance, okay. location, elevation. Yeah. So I actually was just, just, uh, I meant to look this up before. So I'm pulling up the route right now. I think it's, I think it's like 96 miles, which is, so it's called the Shenandoah 100. Um, but it's, it's 96 miles, which before riding the 96 miles, like kind of disappointed me. Cause I was kind of like, well, it's like, it's not actually a hundred, like maybe at the end I'll like spin down the road or something. And then by the end I was like literally in tears. Like thank God this is over. <laughs> um, but yeah, so according to the ride with GPS track, it's 96 miles and 11,740 feet of climbing. Yeah. So, so it's like, it's a, it's a big ride. Like I think the only way it could be, bigger and still be like reasonable as if it was like Leadville I think I don't know how Leadville compares specs wise but I think it's pretty similar but it's also at elevation um and they have pretty serious time cutoffs. for a moment I was like maybe I'll like tra train and go try to ride the Leadville 100 because I've heard this is kind of Leadville of the east coast um but then I looked at the cutoffs and was like well I'm not I'm not going to train to do that like I just <laughs> wouldn't be able to make it <laughs> and I can't stand the idea of being cut um so yeah, so it's yeah, ninety six miles, eleven hundred, almost twelve hundred feet, twelve thousand feet of climbing, um, and it's awesome. Like it's just such a great, it's such a great ride. The area up there, um, I think it sounds like you both have been. So I don't know if you've ridden up there, but it's just killer. Um, the riding is like, yeah, there's so much out there. Like you, you kind of feel like you're in farmland until you're in the mountains. Um, compared to like the Asheville area, there's no one there. Um, like Brevard now, there's traffic jams coming in to and out of Pisco, like on the weekends. Um, and up there, like, um, Annie, we were up there recently, and like, I don't know that we, we didn't see any other riders two of the three days, right? Yeah, um, two of the three days, and the, the only other riders we saw at all was that other big group from DC. And that was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's wild. It's great up there. And the Stokesville Lodge uh, campground is incredible. Um, I think it's the same guy that owns the campground pits on the race. Um, I'm not hundred percent on that, but the race is like fantastically done. It's, um, it's probably the most expensive race I've ever done. Um, which, uh, Andy can attest that I, I do, I, especially in the past have done some grumbling about, uh, you know, paying a bunch of money to go ride my bike. But, uh, with once I started racing cross and was just hemorrhaging money every weekend to go race. Uh, this starts to look like a good deal. So yeah, you camp the night before and the night after, um, which is awesome because it starts really early and you're just totally shelled afterwards. Um, and it sort of becomes a, like, it's, it's a party for sure. Um, 
especially. I did it this year as well, which was strange because of COVID. Um, it kind of took away a lot of the fun parts. But in 2018, that was my first year. Yeah, it was awesome. Like it's like it's what the mountain bike rates really should be, um, which yeah, is killer. Circles are circles a great spot. A lot of teams go out there to do cross clinics, and it's beautiful riding. But it's pretty it's pretty tough. I mean, we, there's a lot of tough times around here in West Virginia and Maryland, but I think Stokeswell is pretty pretty gnarly. Yeah, I think it's it's super rocky, and um, yeah, it's just pretty unrelenting. Like once you're, um, and I mean, there's a lot of elevation. So once you're kind of off of the road. The, I, the Shenandoah 100 has a fair amount of um, gravel um, and a little bit of paved road as well, um, which is a, a total relief when you get to it. Um, but as soon as you get off, yeah, it's like it's an ass kicker for sure. And I think the year that the first year I did it in 2018, um, which sort of felt a little more like a like a big dumb ride. Um, I was on a rigid single speed. The both years I've done a single speed, but the, the first year I was on a rigid single speed with no dropper. And that was like, it's just not, you just can't really enjoy the terrain. Like it was kind of a bummer um, to not, like I like, I love like type two fun and I like underbiking a lot. But by the end, I was like pulling over to let people pass me who I was faster than downhill because I couldn't hold on anymore. Because um, I was just, my arms were just totally wrecked. Yeah, you, so, so you got it. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, you got it. You got an eleven thousand foot climbing, uh, relatively technical hundred mile mountain bike race, and you decided to do it on a single speed with no suspension. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think so. I, I feel like I'll like uh, I, the caveat here is like I didn't do this very fast. I, I was trying to look up my results. I think I was like just under twelve hours, which was about my goal. Um, I think it's interesting, like to to like have a, you know, a podcast conversation about my like mediocre performance. But I think that's, I mean, I love this idea of a, a big dumb ride podcast. It's not about like, you know, your big dumb win, right? It's like, you know, because a big dumb ride can be yes. a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Right. There uh, which is here. awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, I did it for a couple of reasons like i was riding a single speed a fair amount at the time i got this um kona unit single speed that i was really enjoying riding uh, around here I, I live in durham north carolina um so uh it's great around here um and because it's not too it's not too like technical around here some of the riding is like we have some cool little trails and stuff but it definitely makes the makes for more of a challenge to ride a rigid single speed around here. So I was really enjoying the bike. And I just wanted, you know, I kind of figured if it's going to be hard, like I don't want to cut any, I might as well just make it really stupid hard. Um, as well. And it was, yeah, it was really, it was really hard. I do think I, especially that year, I think I would have been slower on a geared bike because it would have let me rest more. Um, whereas, you know, on a, single speed you just have to go you just have to work hard all the time or walk uh especially with that much climbing um so yeah the, i think the other big thing to kind of take a step back like the reason that i always had this race kind of in my mind so i used to work at this shop in winston-salem called uh, mock orange bikes in high school and the owner there uh charles bonniesenberg is kind of my like adult role model i guess like especially when it comes to bikes uh, he's just like always a total shredder, like super nice guy, uh, one of the best mechanics 
that I know of. Um, and a total like kind of off the couch. I mean, you can just really sit on the couch a lot, but not, not the type of person that ever trained for much. Um, and I think his attitude towards bike riding really informed or influenced mine, which is kind of like, this should be fun. Like, you know, like I'm not going to ride my bike if it's not fun. I'm not going to like, I don't have a heart rate monitor or a power meter. You know, I, I bought a smart trainer and rode it like for probably a total of three hours. And that was two years ago. And it's like under the couch right here, just in case, because it's not fun to sit there. Even if you're like watching Netflix, um, I don't know how you people do it, uh, <laughs> but yeah. So he, so he, he was like, he would do this race every year. It shouldn't be 100. And at the time, like I was like a dirt jump kid and it just like absolutely blew my mind that somebody could ride a hundred miles. But he would take, I remember one year he he took a day off in the middle of the week before, I think. And he rode from his house to basically all the mountain bike trails in Winston and rode them and then rode home. And it was like, I think he did like 45 miles or something. Um, and he was like, yeah, so I guess I'm good. Like just kind of shake out, like make sure that you can ride, do a long distance. And that's not, I mean, no one would advise that you train by doing one 45 mile ride in a flat area. <laughs> um, but that just, so, you know, I was, I was so impressed by that. Um, and I think, Andy, you probably can attest to that. My sort of fitness strategy is more about like, just like dumb, like idiot strength, I guess. Like, I really like the idea of being able to just have a baseline fitness where you can have, do a big hard days, even if you're slow, like you just kind of keep going. Um, it was always a race that I like knew about. I was thinking like, it would be really cool to be able to do that, to kind of check it off. And, and he would do it on a rigid single speed often too. Um, so I think that that had something to do with it. Like I was definitely inspired by him. Um, so what did you do to prepare? I mean, aside from. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great question. Like my average ride here, you know, if I go do our like local trip, local trail and I do two laps out there, you know, I end up with about, 14 miles or so and probably about a thousand feet of climbing um or no a little bit less than that so like nowhere near as much um and it's nowhere near as technical um at the time my wife um was in grad school and I was riding more than like I really ever have because she was just super busy and we had just moved to Durham and I like didn't know anyone um so I was just riding a bunch and all of my friends were bike friends um so I was just riding a ton um, but I didn't have like, any, I didn't formally train at all. I was just kind of riding as much as I could. I kind of thought about trying to get up to the area and do some like rides with more climbing. Um, I think Andy, you and I did like a ride at, um, what's that park called in Danville, yeah. Angler's Ridge or something like that. With that. Uh, yeah. And I think we, we went there and we're like, all right, we're going to do 40 miles. And I think we did like 15 and we're like, well, we did 15. It was so hot. We were yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know what my longest training ride was. I was doing the, um, back alley bikes in Carver has a Sunday ride. That's super good. And, um, lots of guys are kind of pushing themselves. Uh, and it's a, it's fun, really skilled group of riders. So I was doing that ride fairly regularly. I think I did the bootlegger 100, which is a gravel road, uh, race in Lenore, North Carolina. Um, it's awesome. And I think that was in April. <laughs> and I think I probably had, that was, it's a 110 mile gravel race with the hundred or 10,000 feet of climbing. 
so I did that, but I didn't really prepare for that either. And I don't know that that counts as training four months before this thing on a different bike. <laughs> I mean, so all that, a, I know you've done this race twice, but yeah, was there a moment during this race? You know, it's beautiful. It's exciting. You get out there, you've, you know, you're doing it. You got yourself there. Was there a moment where you were having second thoughts about training? Yeah, that's a really good question. Like, I think I definitely, almost every big hard thing I've done, there's like a moment in the middle where I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, I would so much rather be like on a trail ride with my friends that's 20 miles, you know, and like be sitting in the creek drinking beer by now. Um, there's a climb in Shenandoah 100 that comes right at the 50 mile mark. And it starts off with some stairs that you can't ride. Um, and then it just goes and goes and goes. It's like a two mile climb, uh, two mile technical climb with like rock gardens and stuff. And it's pretty demoralizing. I'm sure that more skilled riders than me on geared full suspension bikes ride it. Um, and I have ridden like most of it on my trail bike when I'm up there, but it's the type of climb that's just technical enough that you really have to mean it to ride it. Like you, you know, you have to be like, I'm going to not dab. I'm going to ride this whole thing. Um, but on the single speed, 50 miles into a race like that with people in front of you, you I ended up walking a lot. And I think that is probably the most brutal point. <laughs> Um, we were up there recently, uh, with the great escape crew, like doing some rides and, uh, and we, we did that climb and, uh, I think we did it like maybe like 10 miles into our ride, Andy, I can't remember. Yeah, like, like 10 miles in the ride. um, and, uh, and I remember looking at my wife and being like, did we, this starts, like, this is at mile 50. Like you've had a day, two days of like riding, you know, mountain biking up there. And then you have to ride up this fucking thing. Um, and and I think that climb is maybe the first one where you don't enjoy the descent as much. Um, no, that's not true because that descent is really good. You shouldn't and you wouldn't enjoy a bad, not great descent there, but that descent is so tasty that you are still able to enjoy it. But you are starting to fade. But um, two years ago, it was soaked. The descent was soaked. It was really wet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was really wet that year, and it had rained like there were some really weird kind of localized thunderstorms and stuff um, that ended some people's days. And I think I got pretty lucky. Um, the other sort of demoralizing climb is that it's basically a 20 mile climb. Um, it starts off, you know, pretty mellow and gets steeper and steeper and it's mostly road and gravel. Um, and then it kind of trickles down into some double track. Um, do they call it the death climb or the hell climb or yes. yeah, like that. Um, <laughs> And I think at that point, I was like, there were like thunderstorms and you're in this trail that like runs through meadows along a ridge. I think it's on the Virginia, West Virginia border. Um, so we, I get to these meadows and just like try to like bolt across because there was thunder and stuff. Uh, and you're the highest point around. You definitely are like, why am I like, what am I doing up here? Yeah, I mean, it's. it's yeah. I remember what, like, just being a spectator. I, we were sitting at the bottom, on the opposite side of a stream crossing, and I think it was aid station two. It's just before you hit a, a short paved section. Yeah. Out. And yeah. what struck me was like Jeremiah Bishop, I think, came through on uh -huh. arrow bars. Yeah. Four hours later, the next group of people came through. Yeah. And everyone seemed to be moving fairly quickly, but just the way that that ride seems to like shatter people and string people out across the mountain. Yeah. And I think the wild thing about that, like 
that ride is so different for so many different people, right? Like there are guys like full on racing that ride, like with, with like, like strategies that to like to win, <laughs> um, not to just survive, you know? And, um, and yeah, no, I mean, there are people that like blast through the aid stations as fast as they can. And, uh, I think the guy that won it this past year was on in road shoes, which is fucking insane. <laughs> like, it, yeah, I walk so much like, I mean, on a single speed as a mortal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the, the winners like often have arrow bars cause there's a lot of gravel. Like it makes sense. I think that's, that's another part of the ride that's kind of demoralizing on a single speed is you're spinning out for a lot of it. Like it's the wrong gear for the whole race. <laughs> um, I just like went with a slightly lower gear than I ride around here. Uh, I'm not like a, I was talking to, um, Jeremy on Grace Gabe, I don't know his last name, who raced single speed this year. Uh, it was his first mountain bike race, uh, which is insane. And I asked him like what gear he ran and it was like absurdly higher than mine. And I asked him like how he picked him. He was like, well, usually I look at the winner's time and I look at, you know, I divide that, that by like a cadence of something. I don't even know what a normal cadence is. Um, and then I figure out my gearing that way. And, and I was just like that. That makes a lot of sense, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, yeah, I just, I think I wrote a 3220 that, yeah, both, both years I've wrote a 3220, which is, um, I just don't have the power to push anything bigger than that up the hill. Like, even with that, I'm, you know, I end up struggling to maintain like three miles an hour up some of the really steep hills. I, it's, it's hard. The single speed is, is really something I probably, I might. I like the idea of going back on a proper bike, but I'm never going to own the the right bike for that race, really, because um, it's a cross country bike, and I just don't have the <laughs> in the quiver for that. <laughs> so normally, this is where we we would ask you, like, uh, you know, if you had a time machine, what would you do differently? But we don't actually have to yeah. ask you that because you went back and did it again this year. So that's right. What did you do differently? Well, yeah. So I made some like right decisions and wrong decisions in doing it again. Like I. Like I said, writing it, doing it rigid was just not, I'm glad that I did it. I can say I did it. Um, but it's just, it's just not the right move out there. Like, and it was not really fun to ride a rigid. So I, I did run a, a fork this year um, and a dropper post and I was on a different bike. So the first year I did it on a Kona unit. Um, and this year I did it on a Kona Hanzo um, and with a dropper post um, and with uh, a, suspension fork with 130 mil travel fork and i also had the first year i was on like 27.5 plus tires um which just were fine um and then this past year i was on normal 29ers um because things have changed so much in two years that nobody rides 27.5 plus anymore um and what i didn't do is train more i trained i rode less um and and i think that combined with like covid like i was up there i didn't know anybody up there this year um and the field was smaller so there were just like kind of less people to to get you know excited about riding with um but i think mostly i just wasn't in as good a shape so i finished like an hour slower uh with a much better bike so yeah if i do it again i think uh i think i'd like to like to try it on a geared bike but i don't know how exactly that'll play out i think the other thing that's cool about that race is I get beat by like every different type of person there. Like, um, 
people on people on like fancy bikes with electronic drivetrains, people on like like this past year, I was not proud of my performance. And I got beat by a guy on a who's original owner of a like a 30-year-old fat chance. Um and and he was wearing a sweater for most of the race. Um so like and and he didn't even that was his I was talking to him, he's a super nice guy that's the only bike he has. It wasn't like he was like, I'm going to ride my like vintage mountain bike on this race. Cause I'm such a badass. Like instead of my real bike, no, that's his mountain bike. Um, and yeah. And this is like, like I said, there's, there's like, you know, everybody is like, everybody's having different races, you know um, there's a ton of women that race too, which is awesome. Um, it seems like more, I don't know by the numbers, but it seems like more than a lot of other races. Um, which is so cool. Um, and yeah, I think the atmosphere, it just has like, it has a bit of a cult following too. So I recommend it for like basically anybody. And I think that a lot of people with the right attitude can go and finish. Um, but it does take like the right attitude and, and, and the right weather. And it's a, it's a big fun day. <laughs> so, you know, on that, on that nice positive note, um, can we talk about any injuries you sustained? Oh God. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't think that I crashed, but I did uh, forget to trim my big toenails, <laughs> and which I which was I I learned I, I realized you know with about twenty five miles left it was it was nuts I like lost my two big toenails over the course of the next week or so after the race it was brutal, um, and yeah and I also had some pretty insane like saddle uh, related undercarriage damage. Um, <laughs> that was probably related to my decision to run a, a hipster saddle let's say like i won't put any brands on blast but you know what i'm talking about <laughs> um and uh yeah and it just it just kind of tore me up um and, and ironically this year i'm kind of on the no chamois lifestyle now and i i ran no chamois in the you know a 15 takeoff saddle that tony gave me um uh, <laughs> and had no trouble at all and i trim my toenails on the line um so so yeah so no chamois plus uh the the vegan hipster saddle uh was worse than no worse than boxers and a 14 wtb <laughs> so you may have been an hour slower but i may have been, oh, yeah, may have been a whole hour slower yeah yeah um yeah but i think that was that was it. I was, you know, happy to not crash. Um, cause you definitely towards the end of a, any big day like that, especially when you've got, you know, there's big downhills most of the race. Um, you, you know, you can like, you find yourself kind of slipping a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, it's always good to kind of rein yourself back in a little bit on the, on the descents, especially, um, but yeah, those were the worst. And the, the, the toe, toenail thing was just like, come on like you, this is like you don't this is not a thing like what have you done to yourself <laughs> so um and, well i don't know that you want to share this but i was so in so much pain and like googling how to like relieve toenail pain and one thing i saw on youtube was to take a hot needle and stick it through the toenail to relieve the pressure on the back side i heard that yeah and uh and i had jess my wife do that and uh and it was like a horrifying experience for both of us. And it like it didn't. It, what, what convinced me is it was this British guy on the YouTube video, and he did it. And I think he smacked his his like thumbnail with a hammer or something. 
and he sticks this needle through there, like hot needle. You have to use pliers, right? Because the needle's hot. And he goes, "Oh, the relief! <laughs> <laughs> I need that relief. Like we have to do this." <laughs> and I think it like got stuck in there. It made no difference at all. Um, I just had a hole, like a little hole in my toenail. Oh wow, that's a um, that's a very loving wife as well. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. She thought it was hilarious. She, she, she was excited about the opportunity to stick a needle through my chest. <laughs> uh, not that those, not that that and loving are not mutually exclusive. But, well, um, it's a complex web. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, um, so we're kind of related to this because these are some these are some really gnarly injuries. Um, what is your what would you say is your highest high and your lowest low if you had to pick? from this menu of options you described. Yeah, during this during this race, like, well, I think, or I mean, race, yeah, quote unquote race. Um, the highest high is super easy. Like, I mean, it, it's gonna sound it's cliche to say like when it was over, but when it was over, like <laughs> it was, cause I had been thinking about it for a long time and I wasn't sure if I would be able to do it. Um, and, you know, we were up there uh, with, you know, there's just a ton of people, some of whom were like, you know, insane human specimens right um and with like you know coaches and training plans and who like did you know were doing all sorts of things that i didn't understand um so just being just finishing was like super cool um and uh yes i just remember like and and you're also just shelled like in a way that is like probably my favorite part about doing these types of like really big efforts where you're just like oh i've got very little left here (laughs) Um, and this was like a really good, like I've finished big things and felt like I had more left and I've, I've gotten like halfway through big things and like, felt like I had nothing, nothing left and left and had a really hard time finishing. And this was like a really awesome in between where it felt like I had done it, you know, basically as fast as I could have. So that was, that was a super big high. And like, and it's weird. Like, uh, I remember I called my wife like immediately after finishing cause I didn't have any like nobody else that I knew was in the immediate finish area. And I was like, I was like, Oh shit. Like I'm going to cry <laughs> because you like forget about you're on like autopilot or whatever, you know, you like forget about like having emotions and then you like, you know, finish and get off your bike and take a picture and drink a beer or whatever. And you're like, you, you start to become a human again. And you're, it's like, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's wild. Exactly. Yeah. So that was probably the highest high and like the lowest low like probably like a week later when i was on a work trip like trying to pull my toenails off because they were gonna fall off that was probably the lowest low (laughs) um this past year when i did it i had like more pronounced lows where i was like i think like about 80 miles in i was just like this is not fun like i don't know anyone like all the people that i was like riding with have like basically ridden away from me because i am like way under trained for this like i shouldn't be on a single speed um i haven't really been riding enough uh so that was like that was definitely more just kind of like you start to think like well like at this last aid station i could take a left instead of going straight and like and be done with this fucking thing pretty quickly (laughs) um so that was yeah more like clear but but yeah the first year um yeah, there were no like big emotional lows that I remember anyway. I probably have just expressed them. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're here, we're here to honor them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, so 
There's a question here about what did you eat, which can be yeah. an interesting question or not, but what did you eat? <laughs> well, so I feel like my approach towards eating is like kind of similar to my approach towards training, which is like, like I don't think a lot about it. Um, so I love eating from aid stations. Like, I think I put a like a couple of sandwiches maybe in my drop bags because you get a couple of drop bags. And otherwise, I just ate at the aid stations. And they had like pizza at one. And my body is like, you know, tuned on garbage. So uh, it doesn't. It's, I'm not like one of those people who's like, oh, I have to eat only things I'm familiar with, like on big efforts. You know, part, part of that is my efforts are probably not as big as other people's. You know, I'm not like really competing, which is fine for me if I get to eat pizza. Um, so, yeah, so I just ate out of the aid stations a bunch. Um, Andy can attest to this. Like, I, yeah, I don't really. Like this past year, they were kind of promising less because of COVID and they were giving you more drop bags. They were telling you basically like plan your nutrition, quote unquote nutrition around your drop bags. So I, I remember texting Annie and being like, what do I, what yeah. food do I, like, what do I need? I think I told and, you to put roller dogs in a, in a bag. Yeah, yeah, you told me to put hot dogs, I got roller dogs in there. Or a bag of macaroni and cheese, I think was your advice. Yeah, that sounds on um, So, uh, which serves me right for asking. Um, but I, I yeah, I, I, I put like, like Laura bars. I really like Laura bars. And it, that, that's my kind of like normal go-to like tech food. And I also drank a bunch of um, heed the, the last year. I was cramping 20 miles in. was like, shit, this is not a good thing. <laughs> So I got to the aid station and was like, what do I, if I'm cramping, like, what do I do? <laughs> some guy was like, we have heat. And I was like, I don't, is that a, for cramps? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> so I drank that the rest of the time. And I think it's just sugar. Um, <laughs> it totally, it was like, it, I guess helped. Like I finished, uh, I think it works. It's an but my mouth was like wrecked. Like it just felt like I'd yeah. been drinking sugar water, like. I did my normal, like, stop at most of the fast food restaurants between Dokesville and Durham on the way home, and my mouth was just, like, totally wrecked from all this sugar water. I don't know. Um, but I have learned over the years from some really dumb, bad experiences to, like, have bars or even gels or blocks, like, in my pockets because I have, like, bonked in, like, really stupid ways. Like, I think a month before the the race this year, I, like, bonked on a Tuesday night and, like, came home and puked and, like, couldn't get off the couch. Like, on Tuesday. Like, on, a on like, a 40-mile after-work, like, dumb ride. It wasn't even that 30 miles, maybe. Where I just, I was like, well, it's, it's after-work ride. I only need one bar. And I got home and was like, Strava said I had burned 2,000 calories. And... <laughs> So that yeah, so I'm not really good at nutrition. I guess <laughs> uh, yeah, I like multi-day rides because you can you can do gas stations. That's my kind of. Thing. <laughs> I like that you consulted Andy Carr, Trash Panda. Yeah. Well, Andy knows some. Andy knows some stuff for as much bad pieces Andy eats. He also knows like he knows, he knows some of the nutrition things. Except for the bag pizza. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I did like I think the 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 this kind of might put it in perspective for you, my approach towards food. The most important food that I've ever had on a bike ride was at the middle of the bootlegger one hundred. It's like a ten thousand feet of climbing, hundred and ten mile uh gravel road race. And I tried to go out I tried to like hang with a friend of mine who I can't hang with for the first thirty miles basically and then essentially blew up on a ten mile climb. Um, 
which is an awful thing to do, and then sort of hung on for the next 10 miles, which was the descent. And then you end up at this um, uh, Bessie's Country Store in um, Bessie's General Store in Wilson's Creek. Uh, I think it's in Mortimer, North Carolina, in, in the Wilson's Creek area. It's awesome. That area is great. You should, everybody should go there. Everybody should go to Bessie's. To, um, it's like an aid station. And I had a drop bag there that had a canned michelada in it and a sandwich. And and this is like 50 miles in. And I was like like a, like a barely human when I got there. And I drank this canned michelada, which is like, if you're not familiar, it's like basically tomato juice and beer and spicy um, and a whole bunch of salt. And ate the sandwich and was like totally renewed. Um, so I think that's like, that's the best nutrition decision I've ever made on a bike is like to drink this. It's like beer soup. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I think that's like, and I think, I mean, that works for me. I feel pretty fortunate that I can do that and not have to have like a really specific nutrition plan. Like my stomach doesn't, so far hasn't shut down. Like I'm getting, I feel like I'm getting older and uh, some things are happening to me that I don't like. So I'm hoping that that never, I can never get to a situation where I can't eat hot dogs and drink beer in the middle of a ride. That's kind of my nutrition plan. <laughs> You can always return to the racking. That's what that's all about. So yeah, yeah, that yeah, the 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 uh, her, her, hurricane, hurricane, whatever race in Florida is like. It's like a tour to Florida gas stations, um, and it's yeah. Maybe it, for it, not it, COVID a, times, either. No, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of roller dogs and um, stuff like that. Yeah, there's this great photo of Lale Wilcox with a who's a like a ultra endurance racer uh incredible uh with a giant like revelate top stew bag like a um bento box kind of thing that's just full of french fries and she's shaking salt into them and i feel like that's my like my like ride nutrition role model summed up in one photo it's just incredible like she's just shaking salt directly the, the, the fries are in her bag and she's shaking salt directly onto them in, in the middle of like I think this was in the Tour Divide, like, and I think it was one of the early, you know, resupplies, and she's, like, basically running through it. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think that's my yeah, role model there. <laughs> <laughs> so, to, to round us out, we've got we've got some, some rapid-fire questions. Okay. Um, although, if, if you feel like uh, answers to these rapid-fire questions don't need to be rapid-fire and they make better stories, because I'm because I'm, I'm long-winded as shit. No, no, well, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're going to edit the shit out of this anyway. So, those are for our wiggles. Don't be surprised if your answers are in a completely different order. <laughs> what is uh, what is the favorite bike you've ever owned? Oh, that's so hard. Probably my the the 2017 Kona Process. 134 that i had which is a, a like basically a five inch travel um like modern geometry mountain bike and it was the first um full suspension bike that i had that was uh, that was modern and good like i think bikes full suspension bikes got good around 2016 2017 and it just blew my mind like how good and fun it was and i i sold it earlier this year and i have a, a slightly longer travel one and it's great so so yeah i think I think that's probably it. What's, what's the worst bike you've ever owned? Well, it's kind of hard because, like, if I, I look back on them with, like, a modern lens, right? So I, when I was about 16, I rode a, um, this bike called the Specialized P-Street. So the P-Series is, like, their dirt jump series. Um, 
for like a hot minute, Specialized every once in a while builds a bike that's really kind of surprising and super niche. Like they made a free self six gear bike briefly. And, um, but this was their 24 inch, uh, dirt jump bike with a like steel frame BMX spacing. And it had a 80 millimeter travel, uh, 24 inch specific Marzocchi fork that could take up suspension by our pegs, like grind pegs. Uh, and the fork literally weighed 12 pounds. Um, <laughs> which is like a, I don't even know if dual crown force weigh that. This, this, so now, so it's probably weighed like high thirties, but it was like a, supposed to be a BMX fish bike and was truly awful. Um, but at the time I thought it was cool as shit. <laughs> um, so that's probably the worst, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're all great, but that is probably the worst one. <laughs> what's, what, what's the strangest thing you've ever eaten mid ride? Gator nuggets. Yeah, like fried, fried alligator. Yeah. Does that count as mid-ride, Andy? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we rode before and after that. It was it, it was in Florida on this bikepacking uh, race ride, uh, and we stopped at this place called Stump Knockers. Yeah. Uh, which is like a, like a, I don't know, Florida. It was mostly retirees and fried food. Yeah, and they had fried gator, yeah. which we just have to have. So we had that. And we got and it was. Fine. Yeah. Yeah, we got hammered though, and and yeah, we had a lot of beers. Yeah, and, and we rode some sketchy <laughs> And and we asked the um, we we just decided we were going to sleep under the overpass. Remember? And uh, yeah, the, the uh, lady working there was like, "Oh yeah, well the Gators usually stay to the other side anyway. You'd be safe." Yeah. <laughs> <Nope>. yeah. <laughs> no, we did not do that. We did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Gator Gator Nuggets probably the strangest thing I've, I've ever eaten. <laughs> Worst clothing choice on a ride? That's an interesting one. Uh, oh, I went on, I think one of the first rides that I did with uh, you, Andy, and the Great Escape group was a, a ride in the summer. Uh, and it was, you know, mid-90s, high-90s. And we rode from D.C. out to, I don't really know, it was like a gravel ride out to some winery. And I had got this um, this Giro uh, New Road was their kind of casual road collection that probably is not probably was promoting back then and before it was a Radivist. And, uh, and I had gotten this like collared wool bike shirt jersey thing um, on clearance somewhere. And I wore that and it was like, just way too hot. Like, I was like, well, it's Marino wool, it breathes. Uh, but it was 95 degrees. Like, it was just, it was just absurd. Uh, so that was probably the worst. That and, and, and actually the second ride that I went on with the Greatest Gabe crew was like six months later and it was crazy cold and it sleeted and snowed out of nowhere in Loudoun County. And it was like warm in D.C., which is only 40 minutes away. And I wore summer mountain bike gloves with holes in them. <laughs> and... I was had so that was the other. Those kind of two extremes. <laughs> so, what's the most seems fine mechanical repair or hack? Um, I think my favorite is beating wheels back into true, like tacos wheels back into true. Uh, one of my really one of my like best riding friends, um, this guy John, who like went to high school with the first time we ever went riding. Um, we went to like kind of our local area with a bunch of jumps and he, there was this hip jump that he kind of messed up on and tacoed his wheel, like 
like it's the first jump of the day basically and um and i had just started working at a bike shop and had heard that you could beat wheels straight and we pulled it out and just smacked it on the ground a bunch of times until it was straight and he rode that wheel for like you know we were in high school like three years after that or something maybe that's not I mean, he continued to ride it um but that's probably my favorite like just beating things beating wheels straight this it's very satisfying because it takes a lot of you have to really whack them and uh yeah that's probably my favorite um all right what's one thing you'd bring with you on any big dumb ride um i have i keep uh zip ties in my bottom bracket i think that's a really good one um and then i also bring um i have like a little tiny leatherman <laughs> uh with pliers and i think that I don't end up using it that often, but when you need pliers or somebody in your group needs like pliers, you know, you can be a real hero. Um, so yeah, I guess that's, I guess that that's my like, yeah, besides that, just pretty normal stuff. Like I don't bring an insane amount of stuff. I like to, I'm sort of team no backpack these days for the most part. Right on. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so last, last rapid fire question. Uh, okay. All these big dumb rides, in addition to, um, fantasizing about potential sponsors um for this this podcast <laughs> just uh -huh. kidding uh we often talk about like things we would invent if we had you know if money was no and money and time was no object what one bike yeah. or thing we would bring to market that doesn't exist yet like a bike tool or an app or like we had a i probably shouldn't talk about it but like a strava app uh so <laughs> <laughs> well andy can go there if he wants to <laughs> bring to market did you guys invent Strava uh, parallel to Strava? Because <laughs> no. that's I'm really good at doing that, inventing apps that exist. <laughs> no, we wanted to. Uh, I'm just gonna say it. We uh, we wanted a, a metric on Strava that measures your clench factor. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So you have a sensor. Yeah, pucker factor. Pucker factor. Well, you know, that's really I mean, good. Yeah, I mean, you know, Strava added the Strava added the airtime for the mountain bike rides. Oh really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Is that a premium feature? Yeah. Basically, <laughs> no way they can, can measure that, but they think they have some there, algorithm. There's an accelerometers, I think. I think there's a. I think there's some apps that have tracked that before. Um, it's never. It's every. Any time I've ever even come close to timing a jump, it's never as long. Anywhere near as long as you think it is. So that's information that I really don't want. <laughs> <laughs> so we. we uh, do hang time they should probably do pucker factor for yeah yeah i think that's a better metric really um uh, yeah i don't that's a really good question uh i don't have like a the bike tech that i follow the most i guess is like mountain bike tech um and it's just gotten so good recently like bikes are like it's wild the garbage we we were riding five years ago even um and certainly 10 years ago like i mean my trail bike has a slacker head tube angle than like a world cup downhill bike from 10 years ago um which is nuts uh so so yeah so i think that bikes are so good um if i had to like an affordable well maybe an affordable electric drive train or like uh wireless electric drive train including brakes like wireless brakes that worked and were affordable um that would be sweet because i it just would make bikes like so easy to set up and swap stuff back and forth and um and and like make things ideally more user serviceable until you had to take it apart. Um, so I think I'm excited about that technology, I guess. 
I, the other thing I want constantly is more casual. I think I would start a clothing company that was affordable, that was basically like uh, casual without making, I think that all of the casual cycling clothing that gets made, they put some like pretty weird tech features in it just to have them there and it ends up looking weird. Um, and I would want like stuff that's like, just like normal ass shorts that are made of stretchy material that, that wears well, uh, and it's cut for cycling. Um, so yeah, I think, and, and is affordable because I think the, you know, the Rafa's and the Kitspo of the world are awesome. Uh, they make great stuff. Uh, but I just can't really justify spending all that money yeah. on them. So yeah, I think those are, those are two, like when I think about starting companies, I guess, uh, a clothing clothing company um is, is up there yeah yeah those are both well those are both really good ideas yeah thanks <laughs> I don't know, Andy, we should probably give our idea more thought maybe maybe do like a beta beta yeah I'm, I'm probably not yet on beta testing that one <laughs> <laughs> whatever you're into yeah but here, here we are we're, we're talking to alex boyd future ceo of normal ass shorts company and <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know it's so it's so it's such a hard thing to like. Yeah, because I just want them to be nor like normal. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of brands have tried, and a lot of brands are close. Like, um, but yeah, they just they don't make them exactly for me. Like, I end up wearing like I think the year that I did this race that we've been talking about, I was in like a uh, Gap. Your sucker short sleeve shirt <laughs> button down because <laughs> um, i just don't i just don't like looking like a you know a roadie or whatever um <laughs> so yeah normal ass shorts that's good <laughs> you heard it here for first yeah <laughs> watch this thing yeah yeah i know for sure i mean you know we've come a long way just women's oh yeah across the board i mean when i first started it's not that long ago I started riding bikes, but you know, finding women's gear that wasn't just cut bizarrely and the color pink with flowers on it, and yeah, you know, um, and and marketed to men basically. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Topless, yeah, by the two year girlfriend, yeah, in a bib, you know, just bizarre stuff. Um, and I, I think like credit to some of the brands like Rafa that kind of figured it out. Yeah. Early on, but um, we've come a long way. I think just across the board on like gear and. And not just gear, but like how we market to people across the sport. So hopefully we'll see even more movement in the right direction. Totally. Yeah. And I think as a whole, like, it's nice to just see things get away from like, you know, pure performance competition. Like, yeah, I mean, we were riding like 23 C tires on every, you know, non-mountain bike, uh, non-cross non-mountain bike, like right. up until whatever, six or eight years ago, I guess. Um, which is insane. Like road bikes didn't clear 28. Like whose idea was that? Um, so I think, yeah, I think, I think things are definitely getting better. We, I, but to be clear, we have a long ways to go. Um, and I, you know, we're talking like technology now and I think there's, there's, that's, you know, part of it, but this is not a, not, not yet an inclusive sport at all. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so I guess if I could invent a technology, it would be uh, something that, stopped white men from running cycling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, well, once you've, once you've got them, uh, their, their, their pucker factor sensors place, you can hack them and, uh, and use them for 
<laughs> to deliver an electroshock or something. <laughs> All right. Well, this is a we're gonna we're gonna move from the uh, the ride you did to uh -huh. uh, it's time to talk about bike feelings. Um, cool. So yeah. Um, so what does bike riding mean to you? Oh, that's a question. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't have, like, a kind of romantic idea of what bike riding is. Like, I've ridden bikes for um, – it's been, like, my main thing since I was maybe 14 or 15. Um, so, like, for 15 or 16 years. Um, and uh, – or 17 or 18, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's uh, yeah, for a num good number of years. And yeah, I, I mean, it just, uh, it's just great. Like, I just, I feel like it's awesome. Like I've everywhere I've ever moved, I've been able to meet people pretty quickly riding bikes. Um, it's like the feeling you get like on, on like certain bike rides is just outrageous. And like, and it doesn't even have to be something huge. Like, um, yeah, like a like a you know a giant really fun day in the mountains with like awesome descents like puts an insane smile on my face. But I also like sometimes just kind of catch a feeling like on an after work ride like, um, like the other day I was like riding through Duke Forest, which is like a kind of road some gravel or area some gravel roads like on my dumb uh, brake lift fixed gear with cross tires and was just like shit this is awesome like this is you know and then and i've been like working all day it's like this is great um so i think yeah i think sometimes it's just it's just it's just like pretty um i think i can enjoy it without really worrying about it a lot which is which is you know kind of rare these days right yeah sure. um so yeah and the, the kind of the bike the, the the community that it enables is really great and i think a lot about like bike culture and bike community um and uh yeah so I, that's just kind of a cool thing to be a part of and and uh you know some are better than others and um so yeah it's just it's a it's a lot for me i don't think of it as like i'm you know i don't think it's going to save the world like i drive to um you know i like to ride my bike but i there's you know i like drive to the grocery store if i gotta get a bunch of stuff um but but yeah it's just it's just super fun for me like there's this there's this idea i guess if, if you, you see you ask this is a super long answer i'm sorry uh you asked like what bike riding means to me i'll tell you what it doesn't mean there's this i think this was like a like a meme on instagram or something uh this idea of like uh was oh, unstructured training is just bike riding <laughs> like 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 i have it means the opposite of whatever that guy whatever whoever said that whatever it means to them it means the opposite to me like bike riding is bike riding and that's awesome you know yeah um so that's kind of my attitude yeah, yeah. especially living in a world where so much of biking uh, at least for some some of us like is organized around races and race weekends and yeah yeah for sure that the pandemic i think uh kind of you reset and um, in some ways you lean harder into the things that really brought you to biking in the first place which is community yeah and totally and yeah i have a lot of Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I have a, I have a lot of friends who, or a few friends who have like kind of confided in me that like 
not having cross this year, they're kind of almost excited about it because it gives them an opportunity to kind of approach bikes differently this year. Yeah, um, dirty secret going around the racing world is like yeah, and I think <laughs> it's, it's super cool to me because like I got into bikes because uh, it wasn't football or baseball or um, you know the things that like the kids like it was like very like I was into rollerblading at one point like so you don't get into ro- you know there's like it was and then I thought of bikes as like a similar thing like kind of an anti jock anti you know I'm I'm going to be different thing. Um, and it's been really kind of wild to see it become so much bigger, you know, uh, and, and like to see like, like lines going into the, you know, Pisgah and, uh, and, uh, it was awesome. Like the bikes are so much better. Like we're getting, you know, a lot more investment and stuff. Um, but it is cool this year, I think, to see people like, you know, without racing kind of having to figure out like like oh shit like i can just go ride with my friends and not you know not wear my heart rate monitor um and really enjoy themselves uh so i hope i hope that it we come out of this with a little more of that kind of attitude like a little more fun because i think that cross especially i think cross was cool because it was irreverent but i think it's i don't know how you guys feel about it i think it's gotten a lot more a, a lot less irreverent in the past few years like i think people take it a lot more seriously um, there's a lot of heart rate monitors in Cat 5. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think it's just, and it, to me, it just, because I, you know, I got in, uh, I don't know, it, it, it was kind of pushing me out a little bit. So I'm hoping that people sort of, you know, become soul skaters again or whatever. Well, Alex, it has been awesome talking to you. Uh, we ran out of questions, so this was a good... Cool. <laughs> That's a good place to stop. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good place to stop. Uh, and did it like almost in an hour, which is kind of amazing. Um, yeah. But yeah, thank you so much. This was really fun. It was it was so cool to hear uh, hear about that race from somebody who actually did it. I mean, having just watched from the outside, I was like, these people are crazy. <laughs> you, but but uh, but honestly, here's my pitch. You could totally do it. Like. Uh, I mean, the rides you're doing, like, it's just not, it would just be like a big, a big dumb ride, you know, it's, it's like, it's hard and it does like certainly, uh, help to like, like the mountain, the, the mountain biking, some parts of it are really technical, but not insane. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I mean, I, I, I would encourage you to just sign up for it <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I mean, don't, you know, don't think twice something <laughs> yeah just, yeah and you're like well it's far enough i'll figure out the, <laughs> the yeah um, well that's the spirit of the big dumb ride i mean we really you know no racing it's been fun riding with andy and kind of like doing our best to i mean he's he's the mapper but like mapping these routes out and kind of like we think there are these elements and we think it's going to take this long and, and like, yeah. and let's bring all our shit and let's go. But then you get out there and it's like, you know, your crank arm falls off. <laughs> yeah. 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 You definitely, I think that's the, that's a really cool part of a, of a big dumb ride is like you do end up, you're sort of forcing more exposure to errors and, and like, you know, decisions and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I love it. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I mean, my only fitness goals are related to like just being able to do big dumb things. Yeah. You know, uh, eventually, like not not you know not on like a time like 
uh, you know, just finishing things basically. Um, and I want to, I think that's the one of the cool things about the Shenandoah 100 is it happens every year. It's happened for 20 years. Like mm-hmm. if I can do it every two years, like if one year I go out there and I can't do it, I'll have to like, you know, I'll know like that I, I need to take a look at what I'm doing with my life and decide if uh, I'm okay, I guess, not being able to do this. And that's, that's a thing, you know, like I'm privileged to, to have the time and money and, um, yeah. ability. Yeah. Um, when you said, when you said yeah. about being, that feeling of being totally shelled after something, uh, is so true. And I think doing these rides this year, which we're just kind of like, let's just see if we can do it. Like, let's go try, yeah. you know, never done a 300 K let's try it and see what happens. Yeah. And like oh, yeah. feeling so, so tired. Like you, you, you didn't waste any, everything is gone <laughs> at the end. Yeah. Of the- but it feels so good. And I think being surrounded by so much, like, so much death, honestly, and so much suffering and, and struggle right now, like, the privilege to be able to go and do that with your body and to and be outside and free there and, and feel like you can do this physical thing. Uh, yeah. Really, I, I think I, I've always appreciated it, but this year it feels especially, like, acute. And you finish these rides and you're like, wow, I am right. terrible and so happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, voluntary suffering. Yeah. <laughs> I have a I have a buddy here who who said something to the effect of like it's fun to feel bad. <laughs> and I think I was like, shit, like that's that makes so much sense. Like it is, you know, it's fun to feel bad. And I think um I definitely like you know, I hope that uh I I I'm constantly encouraging people to to do big hard things, like because I think you can I think you we've been told that like you can't ride a century, like, unless you're a serious bike rider. But, like, most of my friends who don't ride bikes who are reasonably fit could ride a century. You know what I mean? Take them all day, and it would take me all day. And I, I feel the same thing about um, marathoning, like, marathons. Like, if you run regularly, you could run a marathon tomorrow. Like, it might take you all day. You might walk some. But, like, you know, don't let, don't let like, training plans and, like, shoes and nutrition and stuff like that get in the way. Like, um just kind of get ready to feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and lean into that. Like, don't, you know, enjoy the, enjoy the process and, you know, and then, yeah. And, and like, keep going back for more. I think I like this. Yeah. You went back for more. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think my, like, like I, I don't mean to make too much of my attitude of like not training for things. Um, because I think there's a lot of people that really get a lot of like enjoyment out of like learning and training and, and preparing. And that's like a lot of the struggle for them or a lot of the, you know, the, the process and the thing for them, um, which is great. Like, I think that makes total sense. I can see how that works. It doesn't, it's not how I feel. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think that's, I think my, the, the TLDR version of this is like, go do hard things and figure out how it works for you. (laughs) 